Hello and welcome to The Hack Report. I'm Jenny Graham. Coming up in this issue, we'll be hearing from Venetia Rainey, our hack in Lebanon, about what it was like to interview a 100-year-old Syrian refugee. But first, Lola Lawal talks to filmmaker and journalist Oz Katarji about his recent experiences making films for Vice in Lebanon. Luckily for me, I made some good friends at Vice and uh, the, the community of writers that, that work for Vice, um, mm-hmm. we tend to read each other's stuff. So we sort of know who each other, even if we haven't met each other, we sort of know who each other are. And uh, luckily, my you know I was based in Lebanon for a year while I was publishing for Vice. So I was starting to get quite a, a healthy reputation for knowing Lebanon's issues and um, I, I sort of got in contact with uh, Aris Rusinos who'd, who'd started working at Vice and uh, he was quite interested in doing a Tripoli story and knowing that I'd mm. covered Tripoli for Lebanon uh, for Vice in the past and it, it went from there you know I, I was brought into the office and we talked about some of the ideas for things we could do and uh, you know Vice are really sort of branching out with their news mm. outlet now so it was uh, it was you know a good opportunity to go out there and, and make some films. We filmed all three documentaries at the same time. Right. Uh, it was just more financially feasible to, to go out there and film three rather than going out there three separate times and filming one each. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose also, it, you know, these things don't just, you can't just sort of stumble into them. I, I, I had a lot of good contacts I'd built up over the last two or three years before that. So, it was it was relatively easy getting there and, and picking the the stories that I wanted to because I was familiar with. Um, but I would say in total the process took the entire process from pitching, filming, uh, to coming back and uh, and editing took about two months all in all. I'd say it was it was a small team that went out there. It was uh, three of us. I was associate producer. Um, we had the director of photography, Bill Kala. And we had, mm. uh, obviously, host producer, Aris Rosinos. Um, and my job as the associate producer I brought in at the start was to, to get the skeletal, skeletal structure of the stories together. So I had to talk, talk through each, each individual bit of the story. So before we went out there, we already knew who we were going to speak to, what we were going to speak to them about. We had a rough idea of what they were going to show us. And we sort of had it constructed in our heads before before we went out there. Obviously, that allows for things to happen, which can work itself into the narrative. But you can't really go out there with, with no real idea what you're going to do. That's, mm. that's a very important thing. So, for, you know, I started off from here calling my old contacts, uh, finding the right people to talk to, finding people that would be comfortable with us and having a film crew, you know, it's, kind of an invasive thing to have a, a film crew around you the whole time so you have to be with someone that's comfortable for that and also especially if you're in sort of a live fire situation you're going to need to be around people that sort of at least want you there otherwise you know it's going to be a nightmare. Oscar Tarji they're talking to Lola Lawal. Now we're staying in Lebanon our hack Venetia is out there at the moment working for the Daily Star and she recently interviewed a 100 year old Syrian refugee. You may have seen her video in January of this year but just in case you didn't, here's how that interview went. When I first saw the video of Haloum on YouTube, I knew instantly that it would make a great story. A Syrian refugee in Lebanon celebrating her 100th birthday. My mind was already racing with all the questions I wanted to ask, such as what was it like watching the birth of the modern Syrian state? What did she think of Bashar Assad's father, the longtime dictator Hafez Assad? How had life changed in Syria since 1914, the year she was born? And, of course, what did she think of what was going on in Syria now? 
As I prepared for the interview, I brushed up on my modern Syrian history and readied myself for what I thought would be a walk through the ebbs and flows of one of the Middle East's most troubled countries. But when my translator and I arrived at her house, tucked away in the hills of South Lebanon, we soon discovered that we were not the only journalists there. A TV crew had arrived, and they were intent on making the 100-year-old woman be as active as possible in order to get the best footage. They made her wander around outside, collect firewood to put in the stove, and even go upstairs to pray. So by the time she sat down with us, it was clear that the attention and demands had exhausted her. And when I asked her my first question, she told me her mind was blank. To make matters worse, I quickly discovered that all my well-researched questions were completely useless. Once she had relaxed a bit, Haloum quickly told us that she didn't like to talk politics and that she had no idea what was going on in Syria right now. Time to switch tactics. Having spoken to various family members that she was living with, I knew that she was a farmer who had worked the same piece of land for generations. So I asked her to tell me about her home, about her cherry orchards, about her olive trees. Within minutes, she was enthusiastically gripping the arm of my translator, chatting away about how she was used to living off the land and about how expensive food was in Lebanon for refugees. She spoke of how much she missed her neighbours and the only one of her sons who had stayed in Syria. The rest of her family had fled to Lebanon months ago. Haloum and her grandson were the last to leave. Her husband, she told me, died four years ago at the age of 85, prompting one of her relatives to joke, he died young. She lamented the advent of technology and spoke proudly of how she used to walk five kilometres a day. People take the car everywhere now, she told me with a shake of her head. One of the only questions on my list that wasn't to do with politics was about the secret to her long life. Her answer was surprising. Hard work, she told me. And olives. Finish Arini there. If you'd like to watch the video from January of this year, you can click the relevant link below in the description. Now here's Natasha Clark with all of the latest wannabe hacks news. Radio presenter John Humphreys has revealed that he advises his own children and grandchildren not to go into a career in journalism. The 70-year-old radio journalist said his advice for aspiring journalists would be, don't do it. He added that he was deeply pessimistic about the future of serious print journalism and advises others to look for a job with more security. Other big names, such as ex-Mirror editor Piers Morgan, Channel 4's Jon Snow and Private Eye editor Ian Hislop, have hit back with the advice that they would recommend journalism to their children. Mr Morgan told Press Gazette of the exciting, important profession and Hislop said it was a lot of fun. Sky News presenter Kay Burley said that she has the best job in the world. UK newspapers now cost double and have shrunk in size since 2004, according to a new report. The Guardian has seen its circulation drop by 50% in the last decade, but its cover price has nearly tripled, from 55p to £1.60. The rise of the internet, a lack of interest from younger audiences and increased cutbacks are said to be to blame. The Times and the Sunday Times have launched their own standalone sports app, just in time for Wimbledon and the World Cup. The app, available on desktop, tablet and smartphone, is free to download and access for those with digital and print subscriptions to the paper. It will provide breaking news, live match commentary and highlights of home and away games. The Guardian Student Media Awards are open again for entries this year with a range of categories, from best publication and reporter to digital journalist and columnist. More than 800 students entered last year and journalists around the country will gather to judge the entries this summer. The 36th annual ceremony will take place at their offices in King's Cross in November. And in other news, Rupert Murdoch's Australian paper, the Sydney Daily Telegraph, is the second paper to publish pictures of the Duchess of Cambridge's bare bottom in its pages. Originally printed by the German magazine Bild, 
It was taken on the recent royal tour in Australia when a blast of wind blew up her dress. The Daily Mail, on the other hand, published a string of revealing images of the Duchess of Cambridge, including a pixelated version of the Australian tour shot. That's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back in a fortnight with another podcast. Until then, you can catch up with us on Twitter, on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and comment below all of our posts. If you like what you've heard or want to give us some feedback on the Hack Report, just do so in the comments section below or in a tweet to the team at Wannabe Hacks. I'm Jenny Graham and you've been listening to the Hack Report.